0: All those who are holding tickets outside are getting as fast as they can. I'm speaking out to you, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm speaking to the crowd on the outside who seem to be standing rather they reluctant to come in, and we're going to start this very soon. Hello, and welcome back to Worthy. I'm Ben. And I'm John. And today's episode, we are going to be doing a little recap of the, 20, the year 2021 in film. Right now, at the time of this recording, uh, we haven't seen... Every single movie to come out in 2021, especially some big ones. So, when we give our top 10 movies of the year, there might be a few omissions. They may be like, Why did you omit that? It's like, Well, we just haven't seen it yet. And just the way scheduling works for the holidays, we couldn't watch it and then record this. But that's our own shit to deal with. But the main thing is to talk about movies. And at the time right now, because actually it's very exciting this year, because movies have been able to come back, people have been able to go back to the movie theater and to enjoy films how they should be enjoyed. So I think actually that's where we should be starting is, John what's it been like to go back to the movies after a year of not being able to go to the movies? It's been great. I mean it's slowly changed over time
1: being in New York where it was very strict and the first kind of couple months it was a little odd with everyone being spaced out. Everyone was like really strict about wearing a mask and it's kind of loosened up more and more where theaters are fully booked. I mean, what did I just see? We saw House of Gucci just the other night and It wasn't Tuesday night and it was like almost entirely sold out. So for such a um, a random movie like that, too, or it's just the dramatic picture that's sold out and you're hearing people's reactions, whether good or bad, is something that I I really miss. And it's been great being back in theaters. I think the real highlights for me not being like a Marvel fanboy, but there's something so great about being in a theater with like some ravenous fans that just can't wait to see some dude punch the bad guy. Uh, That's like something like is so magical that you can't really replicate at home. But yeah, it's been great. I'm so glad it's back. I'm going to a movie basically every week and I love it. It's my favorite. It's like my, I didn't realize like how much I missed it until the pandemic started and how much it was kind of like a, a mental break for me and how much it was like a weird kind of like temple for me to like, sometimes not even like think about the movie that i'm watching but like think about what's going on in my life or like creative things in my head and and really just like to kind of relax and not think about the outside world and that's like kind of the biggest thing that i've summarized from this is that people and it's the same for myself or other people it's like impossible while you're at home to not be distracted whether it's by people that you're with by like animals like that i have my dog my cat and especially like your phone, it's so easy to just kind of pull that up. And, and whether you look at something and 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, I'm scrolling through Instagram and I'm just like listening to this movie. So it's something that I think a lot of people don't appreciate. And I've grown to appreciate it even more now that we're back in the swing of things and really enjoying movies and theaters.
0: Yeah, I, everything you just said, I completely agree with. I I knew that mo- going to the movie theaters was that mental break that I always needed. I, I And not being able to have that has been... Strenuous at times, you know, and also, you know, I I just love the act of going to the movie It's so relaxing. It's there's you can space out You can just let your mind wander into the realm of the film And then there's a lot of worries that I personally have that I can just let go of when I'm going to a movie theater and and sitting there Don't have to turn my phone on. I'm not distracted by that I'm not distracted by any outside noise from where I live in the city Uh, which is just constant, which is very hard to watch the movies sometimes when there's honking horns outside, but it's still, it's, it's been great to go back. It's been great to experience. It's great to eat overpriced popcorn and drink overpriced soda. It's it's it. And you know, and it's a very safe, at least for where we are, it's so safe because they require vaccines. They require you to show it. They, they take it very seriously here in, in New York city. So I feel like it's still a safe place to go. Now when I need to unwind, when I need to just, veg out when I just want to see a great movie and and there's been a lot of great movies that have come out this year and uh, it's been wonderful and actually just talking about movie theaters experiences because now now we are in a time where streaming in movie th- and films that are, are in theaters are going to be competing for the Oscars which is ultimately like why we love why, why we love doing this podcast and why we want to do this podcast was to talk about the Oscars and movies and so for me now to have that like that difference of this movie I have to watch on a streaming platform. Cause it's only on a streaming platform makes the movie makes that particular movie, not as enjoyable for me as going to the movies. And I, and I do wonder if that's going to affect a lot of people, how it's going to impact voting for the Oscars and what movies are going to get picked. If more people have watched it at home versus the movies, it can really have no difference at all, or it can make the world a difference that, you know, I don't know, but for my own personal movie watching experience, I love being able to go back to the movies. I'm excited to get to go again. Like what John, we go. me and John go together. There are times where we go separately, but it's multiple times a week now that I'm going to the movie theaters and I absolutely love it.
1: Yeah, you're definitely right. And I wanted, you mentioned that we haven't seen some certain movies. So I wanted to just at least say specific movies in case people are freaking out. I, I think we're the same on all of these. A lot of these haven't even come out yet, but we haven't seen Annette, nightmare alley, Spider-Man no way home, the tragedy of Macbeth. Being the Ricardos, The West Side Story Remake, The Matrix Resurrections, Tick, Tick, Boom, and Don't Look Up. So I wanted to at least acknowledge those before we go into our top 10 of 2021. And I wanted to, especially before we go into the top 10, give some honorable mentions about films that I wanted to make onto the top 10, but they just didn't fit for me uh, personally. Ben, feel free to stop me if you want to talk about one of these uh so the first for me is the last duel. I wanted to just amazing. throw that in. I'm halfway there. through it and it's amazing. <laughs> uh yeah, really beautiful movie and a great cast and uh definitely too long for me, but it was a really stunning movie that I was like shocked that that they could get made. And it felt like House of Gucci was one for the studio and the last duel was one for Ridley Scott to uh, probably like a dream project he's always wanted to make. So next is Zack Snyder's Justice League. Had to put that on my honorable mentions <laughs> just because of how insane that movie is. You know, we don't need to go into the crazy history of that, but you know, this movie's almost four hours long. It's ridiculous. It shouldn't be that long, but it is amazing and it's like insane and it's such a great film to watch and compare to the original movie and see like how much you can change a film in editing and how much all these weird twists and turns that you do in the editing bay really drastically change a movie. Uh, the next is Luca, which is a, a beautiful animated film.
0: It was that was a really good one.
1: I really liked Luca a lot. Really, really beautiful animation. Really lovely, really sweet story. I wish they fully committed about being a gay relationship, but they they didn't. Uh, I felt like they that at one point that story was about. gay couple, but they changed it. Okay. That's all. I'll leave it at that. Uh, The Nexus Free Guy. I thought it was a wildly entertaining blockbuster movie. So dumb, but like had such a heart on its sleeve. Like you don't really see movies like that made anymore. The Card Counter, just for how twisted. That was such a bizarre movie. For how twisted and disturbing that movie is. I don't think it really works all the way, but I love something that kind of challenges you as an audience and, and really makes you question and whether you even like your protagonist or not, like that's a bold thing to do in a movie. And I think that movie does it really well where you're very sympathetic, but also like see how dark this protagonist is. Uh, the next is a quiet place. Part two uh, in their summer episode, Ben, I know you kind of ripped on <laughs> a quiet
0: place and I don't think you've seen the second one yet. Well, I've, I watched part of the second one and I got to a point where I was just like, And this is one of those great things about being able to stream movies (laughs) is I was like, nah, not for me. I'm going to stop and I'm going to put on whatever, probably whatever Sopranos episode. I was probably (laughs) of course, (laughs) of course. Uh, The next is
1: in the Heights, which I really sad that that couldn't make the list for me. Uh, last year when we kind of went and talked about the Oscars, which we'll definitely do this year, obviously, and go through the nominations as well as the awards when that happens, I went and stood out, took my neck out, and I said that not only would In the Heights be a better movie than West Side Story remake by Steven Spielberg, I also said it would make more money. Now, whether it's It does not (laughs) seem like it's going to trend that way. (laughs) It certainly won't make more money. I think that movie financially bombed and I think that's really unfortunate, you know, it's, it's a movie very much about Hispanic culture in New York City, and really, like, vibrant cast, it's beautiful colors, such amazing performances, and a a film that I keep thinking of, and and singing, and I'm not even that big of a fan of musicals, to be honest, but that movie is really charming, and the opening act is something I, like, go back and watch on YouTube, just because it's fascinating, and it's, consists, the opening, like, song consists of, like, Thousands of shots. It's really, really, really amazing. Especially as someone who loves New York and lives in it, it's it's a charming, charming movie. And finally, unfortunately, I could not fit this movie on. It was very close to being on the list, but The Green Knight. And I'll leave it at that because I know it may be on your list. list. Yeah, on your list you could have. I know it may be on your list, so we'll definitely get to that,
0: and I'll talk more about it then. Well, why don't we dive deep into our top ten of the year? I think that. I think this is a very loose top 10 um i think it's really it's hard to like rank them and even looking at this list right now i'm like ooh, do i really want that don't need that but i'll start with mine and and honestly th- this was close this it's is real bullshit th- this is close i really number 11 for me was space jam a new legacy i, I gotta oh I, I gotta be honest but jesus Christ. you're gonna everyone you're gonna hate me Without even seeing it, West Side Story is my number 10 movie of 2021. That's I, ridiculous. I love the original. I love the musical. It's my favorite musical. I love Spielberg. I'm very excited for this movie. I'm seeing it Friday at the time of this recording, and I know I'm going to love it. So I automatically put that into my top 10. That means absolutely nothing to most people in the world.
1: Part of my beef with it originally is just I'm just tired of remakes and I don't want Oh yeah me too. I, I don't want to see movies that are just remade if it's unnecessary and I think I didn't really fully consider or maybe I just didn't know that much about the remake enough to know and even the original and I didn't really realize the original was so whitewashed with actors like having like brown makeup to be latino and how that movie doesn't fully represent the characters and the culture as this oh, yeah. new one sounds like it's going to so you know, I definitely take back those things. I, I don't know if it's uh will be better for me than in the heights until I see it, obviously. But I definitely you know, I gotta not give a nod to that and, and all the reviews really are, are praising it heavily. Yeah. It
0: may be a contender for best picture even. I think it is gonna be a contender for best picture and and for me it that's actually kind of like a very like, oh, I I don't want that. Thing like I want it to be recognized, but I I do not want this movie to win Best Picture because then it opens up a huge can of worms where every single studio exec gets to look at like the list of Best Picture winners and goes, Hmm, let's remake Ben Hur. We can totally remake that one. I mean, it has been remade of recent memory, and it's not good, but like that's the idea is like, Oh, well, West Side Story can win Best Picture. Why don't we just remake this other Best Picture winner? And then it's going to create this bad cycle of things. So, I, I I think it's going to be a fun great movie I think it will be nominated definitely Spielberg will get his praise I do not want that movie getting a best picture win
1: yeah it's interesting I think you could even look at Little Women as being that film that kind of like kickstarted and maybe that film even kind of pushed West Side Story or it was just Spielberg saying I'm yeah, going to make I think,
0: movie. I, I think it's Spielberg I, I don't know if Spielberg got approached or I think it's Warner Brothers that made the uh, West Side Story um, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure about that I'm just saying that out of my ass right now but regardless I think like over the years like more and more musicals have become popular Les Mis was a huge one I know I mean people hate cats but I think like that idea of like let's take a very popular musical and make it into a movie especially a movie that probably has been done before it's so popular so it's not surprising that West Side Story is getting remade it's I'm I'm excited for it I'm automatically slotting into my number 10 because I know I'm gonna like it Uh, but Again, like this list doesn't have to be the be-all, end-all. So, John, first off, what is your number 10? I gave number 10, and for a
1: lot of people, it may be in their top three or five, but I gave Netflix The Power of the Dog my number 10, which is Jane Campion's latest film. She hasn't made a film in like, 11 years or something like that. It's pretty crazy. I found this film to be not only, like, beautiful and stunning, but I also want to talk about this movie – in the same aspect that you were talking about watching films at home and how, yes, like you don't get that big picture, that amazing sound quality. I can still kind of get the story and the characters for the most part, but I think the power of the dog would have probably been higher up on my list if I saw that in theaters, if I got, you know, if you were really like drowned by this beautiful vision of the, the landscape that they're in and the beautiful mountains and all the plains and And all the work that these men are doing on this uh, farm with the cattle. It's a really, I kept calling it slow when I was talking to Ben and some of my friends. But I don't know, that's not the right word. I I think there's, it's methodic, I think. It's very particular. And it's a film that I think when you watch multiple times, you'll probably appreciate it more. And maybe it would be up higher in my list when I watch it again. But I found it, uh, and we're really trying not to go into spoilers here for any of these movies. Because I think we can talk about them without doing that. But The Power of the Dog, I felt, was very compelling. And it was a movie where the first 30 minutes I didn't really fully click with until you learn more about uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character in the film and, and how interesting and complex he is and how he relates to the other characters. And it's kind of shifting perspectives throughout the film. And I just found it very interesting. And I finished the movie, and I just kind of like, hmm. like It's one of those movies where it ends, and you're like, oh, it's over. And not in a bad way. It's just like, Oh. Like, what did I miss in that then? Yeah. Like, there's definitely more to it than, than what I got out of it. And then the more I, like, kind of sat on it and thought about the movie and thought about, like, the, the certain actions characters make, it was very, very interesting to me. And I keep thinking about the movie and, and some of the really strong visuals throughout it. So that is my number 10. I had to give
0: it. Yeah, just a little quick thing about it. I a lot of people were picking Power of the Dog as, like, one of those early Oscar contenders. It's going to be an Oscar contender. I'm not it's not in my top 10. So for me, it was like one of those movies I think could have used a stronger storyline, but Benedict Cumberbatch is like the driving force of that film. And he's going to get a lot of recognition for it. So definitely like a good movie, not a, for me, a great movie. Yeah. It's one of those movies that doesn't like, there's no like big
1: booming moment, no, like insanely dramatic moment. Like it's really takes its time and, and wants you to kind of just settle in and it doesn't really want to tell a story. More so, it just wants to show you these characters and, like, kind of use those characters to kind of push some of these really interesting themes. So, let's move on, Ben. Tell me what your number
0: nine is. My number nine is No Time to Die. The uh, end to uh, Daniel Craig's James Bond run. I got, I got to see that in the movie theaters. I went to one of those, like, Dolby Cinema showings of it. It was an awesome experience to see it like on a huge screen like that with that kind of sound. It, like that like James Bond has to be seen in a movie theater. I thought it was a great send-off for for Daniel Craig's version of James Bond. It overall, it was a really good Bond film. Had some great action, some really great moments, I thought. It sets up a lot for where the next who the next James Bond could be. I don't think they really fully answer that, but I, I've talked to you a number of times of like which character in that movie I think is going to be the next James Bond and who would make a good logical progression of that. So I I really liked it. It's one of the movies that I was like, okay, this has to be my top 10. I put it at number nine. John, what do you think of No Time to Die? And what is your number nine movie? So I love No Time to Die. It's actually
1: uh, higher up on my list. I'm not going to say when or where it is specifically, but uh, I'll definitely get to it and I'll talk more about it then. But I loved it. Especially as a James Bond, not my favorite of the Craig, what four films? Yeah, four films, five films now. I don't, I don't even remember. But my number nine, which may shock some people, it definitely will, Ben, is Dune. Oh, bullshit! <laughs> <laughs> and for me, it's you know, like there's not many technical things about the movie that you can really say are. Are bad, obviously like the movie's stunning to look at. Everyone's performance is amazing. You know, it's like such a believable world where you're just really sucked up and really engrossed in the story. And, and to me, that's the issue that I have with the movie is it doesn't really feel like a movie. It, it just feels like a chapter in a book, which is obviously it's based off of a book and it's this really big detailed world. And there's no way they're going to fully tell a story in, in, with just, you know, one film. But to me, I kept thinking of Lord of the Rings and how the fellowship of the ring really tells a, a complete story. And maybe it's like the, having the sub name helps a lot. And I know that sounds ridiculous. Cause it's like not that big of a deal for the movie, but just calling this Dune. And the, I know there's a subtitle, it says part one in the beginning, but the name of the movie is just called Dune. And to me, it, it didn't really tell a complete story It more like the story ended when we were just getting to like the real meat of our characters. And it's, It's so challenging for me because I really enjoyed the experience. It's one of like the best experiences that I've had in the theater this year. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to the it being a standalone film, it just didn't really feel complete to me. It felt like it just kind of lacked a kind of final chapter to it. It really just felt like this opening part. And maybe that will change when you get to the second part and I watch them kind of back to back. And then that becomes that weird, interesting thing where you're like, can this even be treated as just one movie? Because you have to basically finish the second part in order to watch it. So I don't know how much you want to get into this, Ben, because I'm sure it's going to be on your list later. Yeah. But
0: yeah, it, it is higher for my list. So I will zip my lips and I'll just keep going. So I'll go to my number eight movie, which was Licorice Pizza, the uh, new Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And uh, I, I love that movie. It, I thought it was a great movie. It was like a slice of the 70s that it captured so beautifully that like one thing that I just loved about it was just the world and it, the way that people would, would use technology, like how things were used functionally. I think it's such a lost, like no one really focuses on that. I feel like from our generation, but I think you have to have had experience it to really appreciate it. And so I, so Paul Thomas Anderson growing up in the 70s, like I can just feel all that from there and on top of that it was like a it was visually a really fun movie the acting is phenomenal in it Um, I did not know that it was Philip Seymour Hoffman's son Cooper Hoffman playing the lead I thought he was fantastic the whole time he has a I think he has a great career ahead of him if he wants to keep pursuing this so I'm very excited to see where he's gonna go it's just like it's one of those movies that I I thoroughly enjoyed and I would definitely recommend for other people to see again there's again and also there's like tons of details there's so many interesting themes that they that they hit on and talk about so my number eight film of the year was licorice pizza
1: yeah that's certainly on my list and we'll definitely get to it and i yeah i totally concur on all the things you said and some of my favorite characters probably this year in in that movie and i think it also says a lot that you didn't know that was his son because that shows that how much you liked his performance and how good of a performance it is because i think you could look at that and be like oh well, it's such an amazing actor it's his son like you kind of like may take that leap already and be like, oh, he's gonna be, he has to be good. So I think that definitely says something. Number eight for me, which is probably my biggest what the fuck moment, <laughs> is M. Night Shyamalans, M. Night Shyamalan, M. Night Shammy Lammy, whatever you wanna call them, M. Night Old. I thought this movie was everything that I want from an M. Night movie. It was scary, it was dumb, it was visually insane. It had some weird stilted dialogue that's not perfect, and some weird performances at times, but it is bold as hell, and I love that. I love when you see a movie, and it's such an original idea, and it doesn't give a fuck what you think about that idea, and it's going to just pursue every single detail of that, and for a lot of people, this movie is so hit or miss, where it's just, like, god-awful for people. It was a comedy for some people that, like, only went in to see just how ridiculous and goofy And just how dumb some of these characters are, and I think there's, like, so much charm in that, and you just don't really see movies like that anymore, and I think of also, like, the HBO film this year, HBO Max or Warner Brothers film Malignant, which is also kind of in, it's not the same exact tone, you know, that's more like 70s throwback horror But I just love a movie that, like you know, it wears its heart on its sleeve, and it doesn't care what other people think, and it's going to take this concept and really just run with it and go crazy, and you obviously get your twist from M. Night, and I think the twist is pretty interesting, and it, like, changes your perspective on the film, and, you know, it's had some of the most disturbing images that I've probably seen this year, and I've definitely thought of and, and kind of have stuck with me ever since, and I... I think it's on my list personally too because I love that concept of just like instant aging I've had this like idea for a story that's like really similar and I just love to see that on film and for a film that was kind of treated with this weird tone of being not straightforward horror but also being kind of like a, a romance and a family film it, it was just such a blend of different things and I had to put it on my list for just being so original and, and unique even though it is based on a graphic novel. Uh, Ben, you saw old, I think, right? No, I actually didn't. Oh, interesting. It
0: came out at a time where I don't know. I just I, it was
1: early when movies, still yeah, up again.
0: yeah, it was still early. It was just like with the, the timing of it. I just don't think it worked out for me. Um, I did want to go see it, but I didn't get to
1: go see it. So well, I'm curious for you to watch that. Yeah. And let me know. I feel like you might fall on the hating it side of things, I but would. uh. Yeah, yeah, it's it is a fun time, you know. It's one of those movies where people were like yelling and screaming in the movie theater, and like, come on, how can yeah. you not love that? Anything
0: past The Village for me from by M Night Shyamalan is just not good. So, have you seen um, oh, what the The Visit? No, is it The Visit? The Visit. Oh, gosh. Um, I have to look this up. I have okay. to look this I up. Look, 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 it up. Uh, yeah, no, I just I find I I just M Night Shyamalan is like whole. Like, filmography, I think it's, like, interesting to look at, especially his earlier parts is, like, really great. And then The Village happens, then I think after that is The Last Airbender, which is just, like, what the
1: fuck? Yeah, I don't know why I doubted myself. It is The Visit, and it's a really amazing kind of found footage film. And I don't if that may not be up your particular kind of – lane here but <laughs> I think in terms of like found footage it's really unique and it's fucking scary I think the village is like one of the scariest movies in the past decade and I will stand by that and I love you know the, the glass the split trilogy and all that but
0: yeah not going down too much of M. Night yeah. Shyamalan is not an M. Night Shyamalan podcast I wish though oh my <laughs> god I would love that I know you would but let's move on let's go to our number seven movies of the year my number seven was Zola. Not the life of Emil Zola, just Zola. I thought this movie was very unique. I thought the, uh, the concept of it being based off of a Twitter thread was really compelling. Uh, overall, I think the movie, the way it ends, is not my favorite thing, but I loved pretty much everything before that. It was also a really quick movie, which I thoroughly enjoyed that it was quick. I was involved in it that I felt I did feel my heart be racing because I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? And I was like a little let down by the ending, but overall, visually, it looked great. It was a good 824 film. Uh, so I was very excited about it when hearing about it and seeing it. I was pleased by it. So for me, number seven of the year is Zola.
1: Yeah, I really I don't have Zola on my list. I should have thrown in my honorable mentions, but I really enjoyed that movie. And those are some amazing leading performances. And. This is not going to happen, but I should have wrote this as my, my one hope or one dream for the Oscars, but I, those two lead performances, I don't know their names off the top of my head right now, but they are fantastic. They are so good, and they like both deserve either Best Supporting or Best Actress because they are just so engaging and unique and show a different side of the world and a side of America that I think you don't really see on film. And, man, that movie's beautiful, too. Like, it's a really unique-looking movie, and I do feel the same way that you do about the end. I think there's more to that story that they either could have shown that would have kind of made it feel more of, of a complete film and a complete story, or even just, like, I think title cards at the very end um, or, like, the end credits kind of showing or, or explaining a little bit more about what where these characters go from here but uh, I think they really wanted to just make the story about that Twitter that Twitter thread and kind of end it right there. Which is interesting. It's a bold move and I think, you know, you got to honor them to that decision. But moving on for me to my 7th favorite film of 2021, I'm going with The French Dispatch by Wes Anderson. And for some people this may be higher on their list, for some people wouldn't make their top 10 for how some people may say this is very pretentious and and uh, over the top too much and and the most like Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson movie you yeah, could those possibly see. Could just
0: go take a fucking hike.
1: Yeah, if you're gonna say like an alt is becoming too much of an art
0: alt tour, then like I, I don't know what yeah, the then fuck tell there's you. There's nothing. Like, then, go watch Red Notice. Yeah, on Netflix. The, yeah, like. exactly. Go watch. <laughs> go go watch every blockbuster movie. If you have I, again, well, you can clearly see how I feel about the French Dispatch. If you were to bash that because Wes Anderson's the way he chooses, the way he directs, the way he stylizes his movies, you can just go again. Go watch Red Notice. Go watch your big <laughs> summer blockbuster movies and leave me alone. That's gonna be my new insult. Go watch Red Notice. It's <laughs> so
1: funny. Uh, yeah, I, I. It's so. It's such a charming film. I mean, every Wes Anderson movie is so charming with these like amazing, unique characters, and none of it feels like real. Like you don't really believe any of this, but it's like that's the magic of film. It can show you this weird alternate reality or world, and. I really love this film and like I just t- spoke about, about old is that, you know, I love a movie that's kind of challenges the audience. It's bold. It's different. It's unique. And this movie is kind of a, a triptych. It breaks its story down to three separate parts and it is really interesting in the way it does that because it all still kind of comes together and is about the French Dispatch paper and I really, really appreciated that because it's new. It's unique. It's not something you really see very often. And yeah, I think we might see it later on on Ben's list. But to Ben, tell me what your number six is. My
0: number six is Belfast, uh, the Kenneth Branagh directed film. I do want to say this, though, that I think Belfast right now for me is the current favorite for the best picture out of movies I've seen. I think that this movie hits so many uh, points that like a lot of best picture movies do hit. It has really great emotion in it. It has some laughs in it that are like really g- great, genuine laughs. It touches upon issues that you pr- you probably aren't really thinking about, but is important to think about, especially to history and and to Ireland's history. And it just feels style. The style of it is so unique. I love that it references old movies as well. It's there's so many High Noon references in it that to me I was like, oh my god, like that. Like that, like that's really a great honor. There's they play Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in it, which again like adds to like the time of when the movie or of, of when the characters are living within the movie. I I think socially has so much to say about it. Um, I think Kenneth Branagh is one of those directors that it is forgotten about when talking about some of like the really good modern directors. He he's really great. He overall is a really great actor and also just a great director. So for me, Belfast is 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 a movie that I think is going to be one of the better movies of the year and not talked about enough. Uh, What do you think of Belfast?
1: Oh, I love Belfast and it's up higher on my list, in fact, and I'll wait to talk about a little bit more when I get to it on my list. But yeah, I, I really loved it. I thought it was so charming and I really appreciated the fact that it was really from the child's perspective and he's really our main character who sees the world. And, you know, I think there's You talked about how many references of films and I think there's like two different routes that you can take when you make a movie and it's like, is this movie in its own world where yes, movies may exist in this world, but like, do we want to like dive deep in references of other movies? Does that take away from the movie And then there's the other side of it where it's like, no, this is just the real world. And this may be about a certain time in history like Belfast is that kind of shows you these different references and different like examples of media. And for some people, it may be like, oh, it uses it as a crutch or it uses those to kind of like make the film better. But for me, it's it's beyond that. It's more about the kid's point of view. And, you know, you're so much you're so influenced by media, whether it's the news or entertainment, when you're a child and and you remember those particular details so i'll definitely talk more about that movie but yeah so so great my number six is one of yours and that is no time to die man i love this movie man i love james bond (laughs) i've seen every james bond movie and this is up there i would definitely say it's in the top 10 probably of all time i mean there's 25, what, like, all together, So, that's not saying too much. I don't know if I would put it maybe top five. But I thought this movie was fucking badass. Like, this movie had everything you want in a James Bond movie. It had the heart, which a lot of James Bond movies just don't, you know, want, they don't want to dive deep into. And I think that's what makes it. It's the, just all about the cool action. And yeah, it's all about the, the gadgets, spies, and, you know, the women that he can lay. And it has those aspects, certainly it does. But this is you know, people really hate the Craig series because of how interconnected they are, probably influenced by Marvel and, and these cinematic universes everyone's building. But I think there's something so interesting about a franchise that's this old, that's like 60 years old plus that can, can adapt and kind of be moved and, and kind of manipulated like it's clay to still fit our modern era where this is some of the best action of the year. It's some of the best, like it's probably the best car driving scene. That scene leading up to them being shot at in the Aston Martin is like one of my favorite scenes of the year because seeing that with like the insane Dolby audio when we saw it in theaters and how intense that is. And it's not only visually engaging, but it's like the breaking point of these two characters. It's so compelling and so engaging. And just as a James Bond fan, it really hit every beat. You know, you have to have your gadgets, your women, your, you know, you're suave. You're drinking the martinis. You have the Aston Martin, and obviously it hit every single aspect of that. But it also went out of its way to like challenge that. You know, to to bring in another 007 to to kind of challenge Bond bef- more than what we've seen already. And it also challenged the franchise and kind of like pushed it to its limits and how it's kind of like interweaved and connect. And you know, I'm all for that. I'm all for you know kind of adapting and moving and messing around with these franchises to see what kind of comes out of it and I think it's a hell of a movie it's definitely too long because you have to fit in all these characters but man was it a fun time so Ben let's move
0: on to number five my number five was Spencer uh the movie about Princess Diana uh I this is uh it's done by the same director who did the movie Jackie which starred Natalie Portman which I loved Uh, so I love his style I love Spencer I thought that it's the way that it that and I, and I know you haven't seen it yet, but just the way that Kristen Stewart's performance is so compelling, the way that it dives deep into the psyche of Princess Diana, the way that it uses. It's not like a, a, an actual like true tale story of Princess Diana, but it uses this, a, a story structure to talk about her and what her life might have been like being in the royal family. Uh, to me, it's just wonderful acting it's shot wonderfully it's edited in a really concise way that that doesn't make it's with all that's happening within the movie in the world and what they're trying to get to you're still involved you still get what's going on uh, so I'm I'm very excited about this movie I want more people to go see it because I think it actually has a lot of merit to it um, so for me Spencer is my number five of the year
1: yeah I still haven't seen it so I can't really comment on the movie itself if it gets best picture nom I'll watch it uh, I don't know. <laughs> Not even for Kristen
0: Stewart if she uh, Maybe. is nominated. Right, Maybe. Well, I'll well, get okay, you to watch it. Okay. Okay. it it's, I don't
1: it, See, I don't have anything against the movie. It's just like I just get this – and I, I like Jackie, but it was one of those movies where I watched it, and I'm just like, that. this is so sad. Like, this is, like, so sad to the point where I'm like – Oh, we are How?
0: so <laughs> – we're, we're so different for our movies. Yeah, definitely. You love... And I love the big action movies, too. And I know you do like some sad yeah, movies. Yeah, you'll see on my number but five. It could be different yeah, than Spencer. I, I'm I'm full steam ahead when it comes to a sad movie about that's depressing and that makes you psychologically think. And I know you are more into the guns a-blazing, let's have some fun action, let's go to the movies, let's make it a fun experience, which... It's totally fine to have. So I think it's very funny that you're like, ah, Spencer, that that kind of like doesn't really interest. Yeah,
1: it's complicated. I mean, like I do love a a sad movie here and there, but I don't want to like go into a movie that just everything from the trailer and everything I've seen, it just feels so mopey. Like, I don't want to see a character just like walking around in pretty clothes, just like being mopey. And like, it just sounds so uninteresting to me, but I got to watch it and then I'll kind of give my full opinion on it. My number five couldn't be any different than could Spencer be any different. couldn't be any different which is the suicide squad by James Gunn and a lot of people kind of watched this on HBO Max watched it forgot about it but I saw this movie in theaters twice I think I saw it at home two times again it is so stupid funny big ridiculous I don't know how they got this movie to be made I think James Gunn literally they just said I will make anything because he just left Marvel at this point and he literally got the chance and I assuming he I knew like he knew what kind of opportunity he was in that he went out of his way to make a movie as gory and ridiculous and and goofy and colorful as this in order just to like show that you can still do it and I think it's really unfortunate that this movie did so poorly, especially with the original Suicide Squad being, like, one of the highest grossing superhero movies of that year because this movie is so, so much better than the original movie. It has so much more heart, and it's so much funnier characters. Everyone, you know, is up to die, and everyone's, like, you're on edge throughout the entire movie because the film opens and shows you that, like, there are no rules in this film, and you don't really get movies like that anymore. And instead of being, like, this weird kind of like poppy gross music video like the original it's this like grounded gritty almost like prison escape film I mean it doesn't really I mean there's aspects to that but it's more of that grounded you know 70s army movie and I love that like you take taking these bright stupid characters and throw them in like what is essentially a war movie like come on like I don't think we're ever going to see a movie like this if maybe they let him make a sequel but I'm just disappointed the movie didn't do better because it is just a hell of a time, you know? Like, I don't want to spoil the movie, but I'll spoil a tiny element about the bad guy. But you got a, a movie where the villain is a ginormous starfish yeah. from outer space yeah, that shoots out little starfishes yeah. on people's faces? Like, come on. Like, I love that so much. And it's from the comics, and I don't know too much of, like, the old 70s DC comics, but I love the DC Universe, and I love comic book movies, and this movie is—it really stands out amongst literally every other comic book movie, and I think it certainly deserves to be acknowledged for that.
0: Yeah, I—it's not in my top ten, so don't worry about. Sorry, it's not my number one. It's—it <laughs> is a fun movie. I definitely in—I definitely enjoyed it. Um, I was very surprised by how much I did enjoy it. Uh, but it—it you—you are getting a peacemaker show out of this, so you don't necessarily need a sequel. So. You'll at least be able to quench that thirst a little bit, but yeah, it's a it's a fun movie. It's a fun watch. I think that for me, it gets a little muddled with all the other superhero movies that that come out. And you're so there's so many superhero movies that are out that I'm kind of, I was kind of like exhausted by it at the end of the day. And uh, but I definitely I did like it. I think it's a fun watch, and uh, it's unfortunate most people didn't get to go watch it. So moving on to our top four. My number four was Raya and the Last Dragon, the Disney animated film, and that movie is just so fucking badass. It's animated beautifully. It has huge heart and emotion in it, and I, I thoroughly just enjoyed it so much. I thought I think Disney animation is is taking a huge leap forward, and it's taking a leap to where it's like, is this better than Pixar movies? Because honestly, I think Raya is better than Luca. Uh, So Ray and the Last Dragon is a movie I don't think enough people saw or got to watch because of the $30 fee you had to do. And then probably by the time the month that it was over where you could watch it for free, I think people might have been like kind of, meh, I don't really need to watch it or they just kind of forgot about it. But Ray and the Last Dragon, really badass, a lot of emotion and great story to it. So that's my number four of the year.
1: Yeah, I absolutely love that movie and maybe you'll see it on my list as well. My number four is Licorice Pizza. So we talked about it a little bit. We have Paul Thomas Anderson. He's back. He's doing this kind of teen, raunchy comedy. And I called it like, I'm sure people have said this before, but it's kind of a mixture of uh, Punch Drunk Love and Boogie Nights, where it's this love story, but it's this kind of weird, twisted, not perfect love story, but it has that kind of 70s backdrop. And the. The, like very vulgar humor and these goofy characters and you throw some famous people in there too. And it really creates this beautiful ensemble of what is like the seventies and youth. And I think we got into some kind of like questions about the romance and this isn't really a spoiler, but the film takes place between, um, uh, two people that are kind of falling in love throughout the movie and the girl is 25 and the kid is 15 i think right it's a 10 year difference
0: yeah i i even i think there's a little ambiguity there for a few purposes but we don't get into the movie yeah we don't
1: have to go too deep into it but i know that there's been like comments online going back and forth as well and and people kind of talking about the movie and overall i think that will probably hurt the movie and the way people kind of look at it but when we're just looking at the film technically and you don't really think too much about that and you know, it is a very different time. We're talking 50 years ago and the difference between now and then is like so drastic, especially with social media. But that's kind of what makes this film so charming is it the lack of that social media presence, the lack of technology, the lack of it really brings these characters down to earth and just lets them be kids and lets them just like go on these stupid adventures. And our main character is like this weird, like <laughs> inventor and, he just keeps wanting to start all these like business, like and being an entrepreneur and it's just fascinating and it just like, doesn't really feel like he should be doing this at this age. And it's a story where you don't really know where it's going and it's kind of hard to follow until you kind of realize like, Oh, the whole movie is about the two of them. And that's when I really kind of fell in love. It's this beautiful relationship they have together. I mean, ignore the age difference if that really bothers you a lot. I think it, it it took me a little bit to kind of get past that. I kept thinking about that for a lot of the movie, but it is so visually stunning. I mean, there's amazing camera work. It feels directly like it was ripped from the seventies and it's some of the best
0: writing of the year. I would say moving on to our number three spots of the list. My number three was the French dispatch. I, I, this is Wes Anderson's like most Wes Anderson type film. And it's also one of his best types of film. I think, I think Wes Anderson has gotten better over the years, honestly. I, I think that his attention to detail, the way that he's able to stylize and be so meticulous to how he builds certain shots. I mean, uh, there's an article I read that goes through this, like, it's like essentially a, a two minute long one take shot that goes through like 25 different rooms and it's all one shot. It's not, there's no edit and, and, and just the fact that he's thinking like this and from a, from a from an a tour standpoint, from a, of how you use filmmaking as a medium to tell a story, he is probably the best at it right now because he, he again, like his style and the way that he's able to make things look, the and the and what he chooses and, and, and how he's able to put stuff together. And that's not even including the the amount of well known name actors that he can get into his movies. That doesn't include the stories that he's able to tell and, and those are just beyond phenomenal for most of his movies. But The French Dispatch really goes to another level. I love how it's a three, three different stories all in one. Uh, it really kind of harkens back to how films used to be watched, how they were, you would see multiple films in a day. And, and they were shorter films, but you got to see multiple ones and really get your money's worth. So for me, I felt like I got my money's worth with The French Dispatch. I, I love it. I'm, I'm very excited to see where Wes Anderson goes next and to see what kind of detail and intensity he can then bring to uh to his films and and whatever genre you want to call Wes Anderson. Yeah, I mean, he's a master at his craft. It's it's unbelievable
1: that movie, honestly. And he said you get your money's worth and it's, it's so true because like every scene, whether it's the dialogue or the production design or the costuming or the performances, like it is so rich and detailed and And really, every frame does feel like a painting where you could just pause it at any moment and just be like in awe of everything that is happening on screen, let alone like the goofy, insane, you know, dialogue that he always has. And these weird characters that like feel like they're from another planet. And yeah, there's a lot of people that can't get down with that. It's such a weird kind of view into the world. And for a lot of people, that's definitely too much. But for me, it's like, how can you not love this? Like, how can you not love someone who's like pushing? Uh, the film medium in his own vein you know like the way he sees the world is exactly the way he kind of like portrays it and that's so magical and we just don't really see that very often there's not as many people that are like that much of an auteur with their palette with their color design and costuming and and using these same actors again he's really creating this like amazing legacy throughout film and I think this film will definitely age over time and I don't think the Oscars and, and the Academy will give it as much respect as it deserves and I think it'll just, you know, continue to garner respect as the years go on. All right, moving on to my number three. I picked uh, one of your previous films, your number six, is my number three, and that's Belfast. And I freaking love this movie. It is so adorable. Not many people are watching it. I think it's, like you said, it's kind of the lead right now for the Best Picture winner. And whether it wins or not, I am just hope it gets presented and gets in people's faces because when we went to go see this movie, there was not many people there and the people that were there, they were all like probably 40 and up and majority of them were probably like 60 and up like this for a lot of people. I mean, it takes place, I think in the sixties, if I'm remembering yeah, correctly. It does. And for a lot of people, that's just, maybe it's that or it's black and white and they don't want to see this. And they're like, Oh, it's a, that that's a streaming movie. Like I'm not going out of my way, but this is some of the best cinematography of the year. It, it is stunning. And it's not just because it's in black and white and that makes it look better. But no it is it's gorgeous it's amazing cinematography and these beautiful like framing and you get such like an in-depth detail into these characters lives and they really do feel fleshed down they feel real and I wanted to if there's one thing I want to praise of this movie is reaction shots and no one really talks about reaction shots and movies because it's not really that interesting to talk about because it's hard to kind of fully explain but there is a couple moments in this movie where it's just characters reacting, and even like uh, the young kid, our main lead, who I think honestly deserves a best actor nomination because he's so good in this movie. There's multiple scenes of him just like reacting to things that are going on, whether it's like his crush at his school or like the horrible events going around in his life or his family. That is just like it sells everything. He doesn't have to say a word, and it really like tells you so much about him and his character and his personality. So, Kenneth kind of brano, master.
0: Yeah. Definitely is. Uh, I, again, like. I, I love that movie. I think there's a lot to say about it. I think we are going to be talking about it more as Oscar season really, really does start to ramp up. So for those who have not seen Belfast yet, go out and watch it. It's going to be a part of the Oscar season, most definitely. Moving on to the number two slots on our top 10 list. My number two, The Green Knight. The Green Knight is just it's everything that I love in a movie it's because it has medieval lore to it which if you know me Lord of the Rings you're gonna get me right there actually I I realized that what the Green Knight is based off of which is Sir Garwin and the Green Knight I had a a book that Tolkien had translated the poem and and written himself and, and have been a part of so the fact that like like that alone just speaks to my interest and in, in what I love with stories and for, for in just in general, but for film specifically, it's beautiful. It the color palette in that is phenomenal. Dev Patel is, and is one of the uh, the modern actors that is going to have one of these careers that we're going to look back on and be like, oh my god, like we are so lucky to have seen Dev Patel from his start to where he's going to be. I, I think he's just phenomenal. I thought that again, like going back, using Dev Patel and, and using someone of brown skin in a medieval lore type movie is really interesting. I thought the way that it talks about decision-making and, and, and living your life. I think that the past that we choose is such a huge, uh, concept from the film. I think just the mystery about like the green Knight and like what that is and like where in the whole journey he's trying to get to is it, it, it really just, it, it goes back to those Lord of the Rings, like things that I love, which is I, I, about the journey and not necessarily the destination. And so just seeing this whole progression, the way that this story was told, the cinematography, just phenomenal all around. It, it's one of my favorite movies of the year. Of the last few years, 824 uh, really knocked it out of the park. I was really excited to see this, and it exceeded my expectations.
1: Yeah, what another stunning movie. And it like physically pained me to like debate whether I should put this on my list or not. And it was probably close to being my number 10 with The Power of the Dog. And maybe because I just watched The Power of the Dog is why I probably edged it out over it. But, yeah, I mean, all the things I, I totally agree with. For me, the only thing that kind of lacks in really making my top ten is the, the... I mean, the story is really interesting to the very core and it, the way that kind of is and in completing his journey and destination. I'm not going to spoil it, but it is obviously beautiful technically in every way and totally should be nominated for Best Production Design Makeup for Best Cinematography. But for me, it lacked a little bit of heart, which I think it needed for me personally with the characters and it it was a little cold and that's not just coming from the language I think you can you can kind of go beyond with some of that old English language and still have this kind of personal connection and story and while I think the themes of the overall story are certainly relatable and, and you could totally relate to them and understand why you would make this movie but for me it was like I lacked some of that personal connection with these characters and and the overall journey wasn't as impactful for me But, man, it is a fucking stunning movie. Like, there's no way you can watch that movie and not appreciate, like, the actual technical aspects of the movie. And, yeah, Dev Patel is really, really phenomenal in the movie. All right, moving on to my number two, which is not on Ben's list. And that is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I know, a Marvel movie. (laughs) It's on my top ten. And it's number two. I almost made it number one, honestly. So, if you're that angry... What can I say? Just refer to Ben's List then, I guess. <laughs> yes, it's a Marvel movie. Yes, it's it's a story setting up this new character that we're going to introduce into the Marvel universe. You know, we have this big world that he gets to show and reveal to us. But I think just on a, a movie standpoint, remove it from the MCU, because I think you, can, you could almost do that for this entire movie. Yes, there's some connections to, so like, Iron Man 3, and you have the end credit sequence that kind of ties the movie into other things. Yes. You have all those MCU elements, but I think you could really just look past those and see the film for itself. And it's just a, about a father and his son. And it's about, a, it's a family story and it's a family story. That's really personable and really easy to connect with and, and really easy to see where it's going. Yes. It, yet yeah, it takes a lot of turns and it's challenging you as an audience because of our, our villain in this film. And he is someone who that's, You can totally see his perspective, yet you are kind of conflicted because you want him to just, you know, connect and be with his family and not lose sight of himself. And it's so, so powerful on an emotional level that when I haven't even spoken about any of the action, I mean, it is the best action of the year. In fact, it may be the best action I've seen in like five years, maybe it is so absolutely stunning and whether it's the. More the Chinese martial arts of the dancing scenes, which I think are so powerful and poignant and emotional on on the actual like human level of these characters. But it's also amazing chore amazing like choreography and dancing, while also mixing these like martial arts into it. Is it is so stunning and I think it's amazing for the Asian community to have this kind of like powerful film and lead. And I wish it had that kind of like potency in in our film community as Black Panther does, because I think it's a much better film technically than Black Panther. And I don't want to like put one film down to raise up another, even though I kind of just did, but I just think Shang-Chi is, is so beyond just a Marvel movie. I think the action on its own, stands apart from a lot of other movies like I think about The Raid and and The Raid 2 when I think of action this good and and those are some of the best in the past decade and not only just the action I really love these characters and I really loved our new introduction to this character and I loved all the the new world that we got to see these new creatures and you know it's just a film that really takes you away from reality and shows you this weird fantasy and it has the James Bond elements to it this man undercover and it has, like, the, the young vibe to uh, some other superheroes, you know, being, like, trying to hide your identity and live this new life. And I just think there's so much to this movie that I had to give it my number two. Ben, do you have any thoughts about uh, Shang-Chi?
0: Yeah, I, I'm i not mad at all that you have this on your top ten. And, like, yeah, I expected you to have Marvel movies. I'm glad that this is the only Marvel movie because, <laughs> honestly, for me, like, this movie was a really great Marvel movie and you know, a great superhero movie but broke my back though with the other Marvel movies was like Black Widow and Eternals where I was just being spooned or I was just given another fucking Marvel movie of another origin story that just had to deal with the same exact type of shit and the same exact action sequences and the same exact plots and, and, and storytelling devices that I've seen in the other 20 Marvel movies beforehand not every single Marvel movie but most of the other Marvel movies that i am I'm kind of at a point where I'm like, I'll see Spider-Man and then I'll wait to see how, what other movies come out. But I really don't care too much about Marvel at this point, but not because of Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi is a really great movie. It's a very powerful movie for the Asian community has amazing fight sequences. in it. there's great action at the end of it. Uh, It's it overall like a really good, compelling like superhero movie. If that wasn't part of the MCU, it probably would have been a great standalone superhero uh, type of movie. I think the, How they use the 10 rings and the way that they kind of like retconned uh, Iron Man 3. I thought was pretty genius and and a funny thing to do. So not mad at all. Love Shang-Chi. And I definitely think it's like a really good movie. Just not part of my top 10. But let's move on to the number one slots. So my number one film of 2021 is Dune. Dune I've been waiting for for years. (laughs) For years I've been waiting for this movie. I read the I've I have read the first part of dune so I knew where this was going to be coming up to to in the film like you had mentioned before that you felt that it was kind of like oh like this is where it's ending like like the action hadn't picked up I thought that was a perfect place to end it because it's going to then let leave everyone wanting more and leave everyone excited for the next part which is going to feel like so action packed and and so in your face there's gonna probably be so much going on like I can't even imagine what the length of that film is going to be I it's going to be hard I think for it to be made into three parts if they do decide to go that route but I hope it's just a two-parter I think that this movie really showcases Timothy Chalamet I think that he while he has been a great actor I think he took just another step forward into being one of those lead actors one of the premier lead actors of of modern times so I, I overall just love this movie I think De, uh, Dennis Villanueva the wave oh my god I pulled it a new I totally just butchered that that name <laughs> I'm so sorry but he every movie he's come out with over the last few years have just been like bangers one after another so visually stunning this movie I thought though I thought the design of the level of details what they decided to do I'm still very like still trying to figure out what the bull mo- motif is in the movie like why they keep showing bulls and 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 matadors and and like what that truly means so i'm excited to to if that gets further deepened within the films or more people are able to explore that i just think that the level of detail the attention the the world building the story just the just the badassness of of this film really really spoke to me got me going and and for me it's, it's my favorite movie of 2021 and i'm very excited to see what the next installment of dune is i hope it's just one more installment but I'm excited to see where everyone in the film, where their careers are going, and Oscar Isaac too. Just another badass actor that's going to be in every single movie. He's like in so many movies now, and got a Marvel show coming. He's got a Marvel show coming. I, I, you know, he was in that movie, The Card Counter, that we were talking about. And so he, his career is just absolutely taken off from from where it was uh, only like a few years ago. I feel like. Um, so yeah, Dune, my number one movie. If you haven't seen it yet, shame on you. You should go watch Dune. Yeah, and hopefully it comes back in theaters so people can see it again because it really deserves to
1: be seen in theaters. I watched some of it at home as well after seeing it in IMAX, and yeah, it doesn't have the same like oomph as it does when you see it in theaters. And yeah, I mean, I really loved it. It's on my top ten. It's my number nine, so I definitely really love the movie. And you know, it he, it's just a mastercraft in in terms of of production design, in terms of cinematography, every element of this film for me other than the script really i think is almost near perfect like it's such an interesting world and it's like visually so different than what we aren't used to seeing in in big blockbusters really big expensive movies like this Uh, but for me the only thing kind of like held me back is again some of that emotional connection with those characters and paul is such an interesting character because it's he's such an internal character who's struggling with these internal emotions which i think they did a good job of at least kind of showing some of those like almost it feels like a, a coming of age story in a way him, him almost going through puberty in a way throughout the film obviously that's a really kind of blunt way of describing what dune is about but it is essentially to me that and that's kind of what the story is in a whole and it ends with him kind of accepting his destiny in a way without spoiling it and and uh Basically showing that this is going to be a bigger, grander adventure, and to me, that it's almost like a knock on the film that you just watched. If you're like more excited to see the sequel than you are about like rewatching the movie you just saw, so it is. It's so I'm so conflicted on it because of that. I feel like maybe knowing that there was going to be a second part and confirming that before this movie may have helped me with that a little bit. But I, I've just kind of stuck and, and struggled with it and. Maybe I have to go back and watch Fellowship of, of the Ring and kind of like determine why I think that is such a complete movie and a trilogy for me, or maybe I'm just like thinking about it as a trilogy in my mind, and, and therefore I'm not really thinking about the beginning and end of the first movie, but yeah, that, that was only my challenges with it. Uh, I, it makes sense for why you would like it. I, yeah. It makes perfect sense with the Lord of the Ring connection.
0: Yeah, it, it it's interesting you bring it up be like, oh, well, it's you're more excited for the second part, but... Again, you have to think about it as, like, one big story. Not to use Lord of the Rings. Let's use Kill Bill as an example. Kill Bill, I'm sure tons of people were like, oh, my God, I got to see the second part. But does that really take away from the first part? Like, it it really shouldn't take away that much. It should just say, like, really, to me, it says, wow, that movie was so fucking good. I need to see more Mm -hmm. of it. Which is fair. I mean, I felt that way about Licorice
1: Pizza. I totally understand that point of view. But for me, it felt like... It felt like not a complete story, and it, that's why I think when you watch Kill Bill one and two, and I think because of the flashbacks, which I think are mainly in the second film, if I'm remembering yeah, correctly, are. which help like fill out that movie and give you more context. I think with the first movie, it's it's a pretty satisfying conclusion. Not that like you should watch one without watching the sequel to it, but. And obviously, that is one whole story. It's about killing Bill. Like she doesn't kill Bill at the end of the first movie. So I think that's a great example to kind of go against my argument. But for me, that still feels like more of a complete film than just kind of ending it with the way it does with Dune. Because I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I have to go back and watch it again, and I'll get like a more of a, a deeper and understanding of the world and see more of those like completed arcs. But for me, it felt more of like an episode. Uh, of a TV show than it did an actual movie, which is so unfortunate. Cause it's like huge, this big, huge movie. But for me, it was just like, but, but is that even a movie? Like, can you even call this a movie? Like, it just doesn't feel like a complete product to me. It just feels like a part and it is a part. So I, I don't know. Maybe well, I'm just like, struggling with this yeah, internally. Well, that's almost like using like star Wars to be like, Oh, well that's fair. But like, I also think that's a great argument for my point though. So. Right.
0: Yeah. I think, I think, it, it, I th- it can go like a a number of different ways. I get what you're saying that, that Dune doesn't feel like a complete story, but it, I don't think that should mean that it's not like a movie. I don't think a movie has to tell. If a movie is meant to be told in multiple parts, that doesn't mean like it has to, you know, I I don't think it precludes it from, from being a movie. It's just like this, this is how this movie series is going to be told. Like, yeah, Imagine if Gone with the Wind if you split it up into like two different days of watching, it's you're still watching one complete movie. Sure, I think you know, and like that, and I do that the Lord of the Rings. I watch, I have sat and watched them all in one day, and to me, that's like, well, this is one big movie, but it it's not. Yeah, I mean that that's a good argument and
1: point as well, and yeah, maybe it's just my like my own internal struggle with it. Star Wars is interesting because it's. It's very much three separate movies that have three separate themes. And I'm sure, like, the second Dune will have its own themes and, and character arcs, as every movie should. And I'm not saying Dune doesn't have character arcs and it doesn't have an interesting theme. It just kind of, like, lack that oomph that and that, like, finality to it. And I know it's a part one of part two, but maybe some of that even comes from the marketing where... If it feels like they knew that they were gonna make a second movie, but didn't want to say it in order for people to be like, "Oh, like this is weird. Like I don't want to have to watch one and then wait." And it felt like they maybe didn't say that in order for people to go out and see it, not knowing that to then be like, "Oh, no, more is coming" because you enjoyed it. Like after you finish
0: Dune, like there is more to come. So, but I don't know to kind of play off that. Would you rather that, or would you rather? we got a huge matrix trilogy and now 20 years later, we're getting another addition to it. And it's like, where's the logic and, and how we ended the, the matrix trilogy and this new one happening. Well, I kind of know about the, I know, I know, (laughs) I I know, I know, you know (laughs) how the, I don't know how, you know, but you know (laughs) something. So I'm not, we're not going to dive into that. But what I'm trying to say is that like people open up storylines, they'll, they'll rehash it. They'll, They'll try and take something out of it. You think about like Halloween movies. They always do that. So I get what you're saying. Like that's not like a complete story for Dune. But maybe, yeah, you got to wait for part two to like get the full big picture. And I don't think that means like I know you loved it still. But I think just overall doesn't mean that that's a bad thing.
1: No, I think my appreciation will probably just grow. Especially from a second movie where you watch them back to back. And you're like over time, like this is my in the moment in 2021 of December my opinion of the movie but you know i can't really think about star wars or episode one not related to episode two you know like it's hard to like separate them and especially i think for this or it will be like very much one story with part one and two that i think with time and when you distance yourself from it you'll just think about it as the
0: same movie yeah i think it's completely fair so dune my number one we talked a lot about it but let's get to your number one my uh, number one is also on your list. It is your number four, and
1: that is Raya and the Last Dragon. Ooh, yeah, and it's not a Pixar animation, like you said. It's not Luca, but I thought it was amazing. I, I mean, I don't know animation technically enough to kind of say one or the other. Like Luca is absolutely unreal with how that animation was beautiful. with the water, and and yeah, so beautiful and stunning. But Raya and the Last Dragon is like I found it so so incredible because of every element of the story and I think I've talked so much about on this podcast how much I love just story and characters and that's kind of why I've always loved movies is the aspect of telling stories and this becoming like this this visual medium of something I've always loved as a kid and this movie kind of took me back to being a kid in a way where it's this big beautiful world that it almost feels like a video game world and I love video games and there's like these different realms and these different kind of uh, locations throughout this world where we only really see mainly the post-apocalyptic kind of version of this world but it is such a it's just such a big heart this movie has and it's just this gorgeous animation it has such cool like uses of its characters the way like her her um what is he he's like armadillo the way he kind of rolls and she rides on top of him like I love westerns and it's very much a nod to westerns it's very much a nod to samurai films and and uh, Asian cinema and it's also just, like, beautiful to look at, and it's it's hilarious. It has that, like, Disney sense of humor, and it's really fun, and it's got that great humor where it balances being very much for kids still, but also has those, like, kind of, like, dirtier jokes that, like, only the adult would understand and the adult would get. And I think in terms of emotion, I don't think I cried more at any movie than I did at *Ryan the Last Dragon. Uh, close to, like, the third act and, and the earlier in the film as well. Like, there is such emotional lows and highs throughout this movie that I just couldn't not make it my number one I I couldn't believe it honestly it was one of those movies where I didn't even see it in a theater and I'm like so annoyed that I never got to see it in the theater because I just saw it on Disney plus because I didn't really think anything of it I just you know it's sad that we've come to the conclusion for Disney where it's like Pixar is number one and any kind of second tier animation is going to be
0: automatically below that it's a shame that that's the case well it's like it's funny you say that because like frozen is not the case like that frozen was yes was pretty big and and and, but that's what i was saying before when i talked about ray and the last dragon that like we're started we're creeping to this point where the disney animated movies are better than pixar movies and and at that same level and the animation in ray and the last dragon was like really eye-opening because it's it's just another it's that step that next step that disney took with its animation and Uh, ultimately I think like that's what makes people like Disney if being like a Disney movie fan is being a fan of their animation so I think like seeing this is like a really big step and yeah it's just this movie has a lot of heart and emotion to it that is very unassuming but it works and it's just a very enjoyable watch
1: yeah and it it tells a story that you know, I don't think it's it's that uh, unique. It definitely borrows from other aspects of, of cinema and other genres. But I think the way it kind of combines all these elements and builds these unique worlds where there's so much complexity to it, where it feels like when you watch it, there's so much beyond just what you see on, on screen or what you see in the world and what they present to you. Like there's so much world building and history behind this world that it's just, it's amazing. It's like so... A phenomenal on a screenplay and and I guess the production design would add so much to this as well to kind of portray all of this and do all of that in a movie and a movie that may be the shortest one on this list too it's under two hours I think it's like an hour and 51 minutes or something like that that packs that much of a punch with its characters and its laugh and it has amazing action as well I didn't even talk about some of the amazing like sword play action that's throughout this movie it's I couldn't believe that this was my number one and I didn't even anticipate this being my number one while I was making this list, but as I kept shuffling things around and I kept thinking about that movie, I'm like, wow, I can't can't believe it. It really is. And yeah, my number one of 2021 is Raya and the Last Dragon.
0: Yeah, so that's our 10 movies of the year. Uh, I think there's a lot to unpack from there, but we wanted to end this episode talking about a few few different things Uh, and to start out with talking about them was Uh, there's actually John's idea and I kind of liked it after him explaining to me like what it meant is the best non 2021 film. So it's a movie that did not come out in 2021, but that we watched for the first time. And that also doesn't have to do with the podcast. So we can't include any of the best. I didn't want to throw in a best picture in here. So we we can't include the best picture winners, but for people, you know, for a lot of people who love watching movies and, and streaming and, and, and sitting at their couch at home, you're seeing a lot of older movies and you're going to experience some things. So uh, we just wanted to mention some movies that we got to watch that are not from 2021, but movies that we really like that we get to see for the first time. I'll go first. Uh, this is actually a 1962 movie and it's Cape Fear. I love the De Niro Cape Fear from the 90s that's Corsese directed, but this Cape Fear with uh, Gregory Peck and, and Robert Mitchum are just, is just phenomenal. So Gregory Peck is like the straight man, the lawyer? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, wait, who's the who's the bad guy? Uh Robert Mitchum? Robert Mitchum. I feel like we've seen him probably in a best picture winner, right? Uh, that name sounds familiar. No, we
0: haven't, but he's in uh The Night of the Hunter. Oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Exactly. I recognize that. I can like see his face in my head right now. Yeah, exactly. Oh that's like perfect casting. Yeah, Thinking about is, that movie. Oh my god. I've only seen the Scorsese version. Yeah, that's really interesting. So if you had to pick one or the other what would you say is your your favorite? I two? still think
0: the Scorsese version just cuz I I think that's one of De Niro's best performances. <laughs> that so that that movie shook me when I watched it. That movie's really disturbing. Yeah. It yeah,
1: like truly is disturbing. I remember seeing that movie when I was like thirteen. I'd be like, I and I was just like, I should not be watching this right now.
0: Yeah, well, I watched the I watched the nineties version, like not, you know, within the last like few years. So I was like really involved and really loved that. But then like just going back and watching old movies because of of the podcast, I was like, well, let me go watch the, the original version of this. And I watched, and I was like, this is great. Yeah, I love that. I definitely want to do
1: that with a movie coming out soon too, like Nightmare Alley, which is a, a remake that Del Toro is doing. Um, Okay. My best non-2021 film was not too long ago from 2019, which is the last black man in San Francisco. This is probably one of my favorite movies that I've seen all year. It is is kind of challenging the way we watch movies now with the podcast is that... We dedicate a lot of time obviously to each episode and each film and that kind of takes away time from watching other movies and then when we do have time to watch other movies we're probably going to lean towards something that's in theater, something that's out as we talked about how much we love the theater and the experience and how much we I love staying up to date and being in the news of film and seeing all these latest films and talking about them. It's part of the reason why I love just cinema in general. But The Last Black Man in San Francisco is one of those movies where I'm like I was just like annoyed when I saw that movie because it was like so beautiful and I just wish I got to see this movie on a huge screen with amazing sound and it is just it is just such a such a beautiful movie that's just about gentrification and you know it's about like your family lineage and and how you kind of tell stories it it is a real it's very much a movie about telling a story it's very much how you kind of pass stories along throughout your family and your lineage and I just found that super charming and relatable and it's almost a movie about making movies yet it doesn't have to do with making movies at all so had to give a shout out to that that is amazing and I think it's a first time uh, feature by let's see Joe Talbot or Talbot but man amazing really really great The next section we have here is for the best TV show of 2021. We rarely talk about TV on this podcast. I don't think we ever have, actually. No. But I thought it was fun just to throw it in here. I mean, TV is such a dominant force uh, on Netflix and all these streaming services. And it's honestly probably more talked about than movies at this point. And I wanted to give just a little nod to 2021 and some of the great TV shows. Ben, what is your favorite TV show
0: of 2021? See, this one, I... It's funny because we, we do talk about how like well, you just mentioned that, that 2021 has some good TV shows. You know, I work in TV. I, I love watching TV shows. There's I really have not watched many 2021 new TV shows this year. And I, that's because of the podcast is one huge thing. I And one of the other things is that like I watch a lot of sports outside of, of work. And, and so sometimes that takes up a lot of like what could be my TV watching time. But if we're going to talk about like a TV show that came out this year, and this is actually isn't even a TV show. It's just a documentary miniseries, is the Beatles get back. I, as a music fan, it was phenomenal as a Beatles fan. It was even better. Uh, it just getting to see them as like actual people was something I didn't think I would ever really get to see and see those interactions. So the fact that we have all this, all these, th- these documents and, and all this footage of them, and there's still more that could be released. Is really special to me. I, I really loved it. There's some really just good moments as a music fan that I was like, I can't believe I get to see this right now. So it's not like really a TV show, but I'm gonna call it a TV show. So The Beatles Get Back is my best show of 2021. It's a limited series,
1: so I think it counts. You know, yeah, multiple it episodes. It's basically a long documentary, but it counts. That's fair. I don't think that's totally fair. My Favorite TV show is also a limited series on Netflix. As much as we've ripped on uh, the Red Notice and Netflix, my favorite TV show of 2021 is Midnight Mass by Mike Flanagan. And uh, you may have heard of Mike Flanagan. He's made some other uh, Netflix shows like Haunting of Hill House and the sequel to that show. And he's even made Doctor Sleep, which is a sequel to uh, blanking on the, the name. Shining. Help me out. Thank you. The Shining. And you know he's had some really really killer tv shows and i think haunting of hill House is is maybe my favorite midnight mass is kind of close to that but i don't want to go into too much about what midnight mass is about if you haven't seen it but it is so compelling i'll just say that it is about religion and catholicism and how that kind of like manipulates people on the way they kind of view things in the world and it's also a genre show and i won't say what genre it is but it is, is very dark in its color palette and also its tone, and it is some of the best writing this year. It has a bunch of these long monologues about religion, life, death, and, and kind of the tragedy of life, and it is so powerful, I and mean, it's a really, really beautiful TV show that's also in the, the horror genre, I'll just say it, and it's wild, and it's weird, and it's bold, and it is amazing. Uh, if I had to give like an honorable mention, it would be for Mayor
0: Easttown because that movie, that show was just so engaging. Oh, yeah. hundred uh, percent. So let's move on to the next part of this to tie it all back into the Oscars. So we are going to give one Oscar prediction. So one, so a pick that we feel pretty sure that like, this is what is going to happen. I would say that our confidence level, I feel like right now for me, is like a 70 to 80 percent for my pick. And then we're also going to give our one Oscar hope for so, so something that I doubt the Academy is going to do. Because why would the Academy ever do something that I think they should do? <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and that and that prediction, that choice. So my one Oscar prediction that I feel pretty sure on that is going to happen is Kristen Stewart is going to win Best Actress. I think that her role in Spencer is is phenomenal. I think that she goes into some really great depths. I think she transforms herself. And I think I didn't, I really did not feel like I was watching Kristen Stewart. I felt like I was watching Princess Diana. I'm not saying like exactly Princess Diana, but I I think that to an extent, I really felt that I wasn't, that I was watching some new character that was part of this story. I think that she goes to this really great or this really deep emotional place, this really dark place that this character needs to be shown and to be talked about. And so I really commend her for that performance. I, I know it's getting a lot of praise already, but for me, my Oscar prediction I feel really confident on is Kristen Stewart to win Best Actress. I think that's definitely a good one. It feels like she's been, not directly, maybe
1: just her great choices in films, but she feels like she's she's been eyeing up an Oscar and she's been really going out there and delivering these big, big, amazing performances. And I think it's about time. I think it's it's rightfully so, and I think that's totally something I could see happening. And same with mine. Mine is Will Smith to win Best Actor, and I think that it just seems like people have been on his side. They've been talking about him. It seems like he's been going all out this year for PR. King Richard is not on our list. I don't think that movie is that great. I, I, I haven't I, seen it yet. To be honest, I don't even think his performance is that amazing. He plays a, a character who's very... Very unique and and someone from I believe down south that you don't really like see very much on film. So I do appreciate that and, and uh, the sisters' journey throughout their kind of career in tennis is, is interesting with their perspective kind of being led by their dad. But for me, I think it's just more so about Will Smith. He's been this legendary actor. He's getting older. He's done a lot of dramatic performances and. I think it's just kind of finally time. There is another like big leading man. I don't think like really standing out this year as well to kind of get in his way. But uh, yeah. Tell me uh, what you think.
0: Yeah. I, without having seen it, I'm sure Will Smith gives a really good performance in it. I'm sure he's probably going to be nominated it to me. It, you shouldn't, it shouldn't be about the campaign, which I know it just has become that, but how you campaign and P and PR yourself for, for these movies. So He's. They're really gunning for it. This seems like a really good chance. There isn't. You're right. There isn't really another like lead male actor that could stand out. But hey, you, you know, you never know. It seems like Andrew Garfield and Tick Tick Boom has a chance. I, you know, we could see Denzel with Tragedy Macbeth like really pull in there. Sure. I definitely can see. You know, again, the the little boy from Belfast or or even the the guy who plays his father, who's at Jamie Dornan. Yeah. He play, plays his father in the movie. So I, I can see like sort of that. I can see Benedict Cumberbatch in The Power of the Dog, you know, really get a lot of praise and love. So, yeah. Is it going to be because of Will Smith gave a great performance or is it going to be because Will Smith was in a really was gave a good performance, but he really campaigned himself. He's the well-known name. He's going to get it. I don't know. So. We'll see i have to give judgment uh when i actually have seen king richard it is probably for the next few days i will get around to watching it there's a lot to see out there uh and so i just haven't a chance but let's move on to our one oscar hope again this is something that we feel that should happen but probably is not going to happen and so i'll start out and that is wes anderson to win best director not to be nominated because he if he is not nominated for the French Dispatch, there's something wrong with the Oscars. Yeah. But if, but I sincere, I don't think the French Dispatch is the best picture, but I sincerely believe that it is about time that people recognize Wes Anderson, that he is awarded, even though I think he would probably say, I don't give a shit about the award itself. <laughs> but I think that his direction in the French Dispatch is the, the way he's able to detail everything, the being an auteur filmmaker, really encapsulating that, really just every shot choice every production design choice every the way that i've read about how they were making this movie and the technical aspects the actual use of film it just everything about it i think it's about time we finally were are like okay wes anderson you're one of the best you deserve this award it's a beautiful looking film so for me my one oscar hope and i hope it does happen is for wes anderson to win best director Yeah, I think that's an amazing choice. And it feels like something that should be that
1: kind of lifetime award. I I, I don't think there's any way that's going to happen, unfortunately, just because the Academy. And I don't really think there's been that much love for him in general with the Academy, if I'm remembering correctly. Like his
0: movies get nominated. And, you know, I know like Grand Budapest Hotel won like best score. And I think it won production design. But like that's all people like want to praise him for. But like that's his choices. It's not like, like he brings the people on and like they and they do do phenomenal work but he's the one making those choices it's a constant in all his movies and from what i've read from people that work with him it that like that's him like that's all of him making these choices and these this level of attention to detail and and how he wants to pull off uh you know the cinematography and film so uh, again like yeah like you said like it's probably not going to happen and which is disappointing to to think about but i think it's about time that maybe we should be like okay wes anderson you deserve this
1: Yes, he cer- he certainly does. He's he's quite an amazing filmmaker. My Oscar hope, and we just spoke about best actor, and I'm also going to bring another best actor in it. And I said there's not too many leading kind of standing roles, but maybe I'll take that back because I think Benedict Cumberbatch truly deserves to win best actor for The Power of the Dog, and a lot of it's the writing, the character, where kind of gets him to those first couple of steps, but. It's his performance that is really interesting and, and really complex. And it felt like a 2D character until you get to a point in the film where it's a much more deeper and much more complex character than you really think it is. And it's a performance where in those silent moments is really where you get to learn who this character is and, and what he does with his actions. And obviously he has those big kind of like Oscar moments where he's screaming and he's yelling But what makes him so interesting as this character is not just that. It's this complexity that he has. And I'm being kind of vague because I really don't want to spoil the movie. or really give too much away about the power of the dog. But I think with his performance, it really carries the film. And it really makes the film what it is. I think without that kind of centerpiece, that movie just doesn't work at all. And I think he's due for an Oscar as well. And I think it may be between Cumberbatch and Will Smith this year kind of battling it out for that kind of like lifetime award.
0: Yeah. I can certainly see Cumberbatch uh, getting this award. His mannerisms are fantastic in the film. I think that's why he gives such a great performance the way he carries himself. He, if he wants to make a career in Westerns, I think that would, I would have no issue with that. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. So weird American accent. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's weird, but it it also works because it Uh, still sounds like him. I think that's why people find it so weird. Yeah. A hundred percent. So that's, kind of our end of the year recap. There's still movies that we have to see and there's still movies that have come out that we probably just haven't had a chance to see or ones that we just didn't talk about that we have seen that we like, but we didn't love or ones that we didn't like, but other people love. So that's it pretty much for this episode. I kind of want to ask this last question though to John, which is how do you feel about the state of film after this year? And do you feel good about it moving forward? That's an
1: interesting question. And I have mixed feelings about that. This year was the whole HBO Max kind of controversy, and a lot of people think it kind of failed, and it didn't really work. And looking at their subscriber numbers for HBO Max, it, for a lot of people, it kind of proved that this day-in-day release for films just didn't fully work. It didn't... You know, maybe it's just how spread out everything is, how we're kind of recording everything, and, and keeping track of everything. But there are films this year that really kind of reassure me. This isn't like my favorite year I would probably say I preferred the films of last year more so than I did this year it was probably harder for me to make a list uh last year than it was this year just based on like how much I I enjoyed those films but this is a really kind of complicated question because at one point on one side I'm like oh my god like we there's so much opportunity and there's so much room for film because of streaming and it opens it up and it creates so much content and it allows us to kind of like see all these weird things like Zack Snyder's Justice League that we would never get to see if it weren't for HBO Max. And that's amazing. It's magical. He gets to like remake the movie and you actually get to see the movie that he wanted to make. But on the other side, it's like we're pushing out so much that we're kind of losing track of what makes a good movie, a good movie or it's instead it's just like what can fill this person's time up for what they have left. And I think because of that, it's taking away movies from theaters and we're losing kind of sight of a lot of movies that should be seen in theaters that just simply are not. So it's, it's challenging. I I'm kind of worried for the film industry as a whole. I think there is always going to be film and it's going to be around, but I think in the next like 20 years, we might see like a shift of just how maybe gaming, for instance, like kind of takes over the dominant entertainment industry.
0: So I've mixed feelings.
1: To, to summarize it
0: yeah i i have some of those mixed feelings too i think that it's great to be back at the movie theater i don't think this is one of the strongest years but we may look back at it when come oscar season and be like oh wow that was you know there were some really great movies that came out this year i think the pandemic really affected a lot of movies i think that the way that people watch movies now really impacts the quality of film because i do think that when we have too many films being green lit and too many projects being worked on and just constant content being churned out that the good stuff isn't as good quality as the past. Um, so it's unfortunate. I do have hope though, that it can turn around that we can get back to normal with how, with the quality of movies. Um, that that's my hope. We'll see what happens, but i'm glad that that we can go back to the movie theaters overall so that that, that's what's important to me so thank you for listening to this end of the year recap we can't wait for the movies in 2022 and to give you more worthy episodes john any final thoughts before we sign off i hope everyone's well safe and has a good holiday and just cheers to 2021 2022 cheers to 2021 thanks for listening Thanks for listening to Worthy, the breakdown of every Best Picture winner from past to present. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Instagram at Worthy Podcast, on Twitter at Worthy Pod, and on Facebook at Worthy Podcast. Any inquiries can be submitted to submissions at gmail.com. Again, that's submissions at gmail.com.